there's a percentage that's usually thought uh, tossed around in emergency management of 90 to 95 percent of folks who are rescued or saved um, in any natural disaster are saved by their neighbors. Welcome to Seismic Airwaves, a podcast about earthquakes based in Portland, Oregon. Join me, your host, Sabina Roan, as we explore issues related to earthquakes and disaster recovery and break down myths about the big ones by talking to experts and survivors. In this episode, we'll dive into learning about the Portland neighborhood emergency teams and how getting to know our neighbors can help after an earthquake. I found out about NET a few years ago when I was looking for a way to get first aid training without draining my bank account because I wanted to do crazy stuff in the woods and make my way back home in one piece. NET training turned out to kind of be a gateway for me into the world of emergency management. It seemed like disasters were magnifying glass for things I've spent my adult life thinking about. The interaction between humans and nature, what government means in the lives of people, and disasters can turn social inequality into a matter of life and death. On this winter day, I went to the headquarters of the Portland Bureau of Emergency Management to meet with Devon Wilson-Angel, the perfect person to talk with about NET. He's the Neighborhood Emergency Team Program Specialist with the Portland Bureau of Emergency Management. Close to a modern-day fortress, this place was built to withstand earthquake, floods, and other impacts, so it will be a place for city and regional staff to safely coordinate after disaster. Devon said, down with me in a conference room off the emergency coordination center. A huge empty room ready to be turned into, well, what it sounds like, a place for staff to plan and coordinate after a disaster. Devon leads all of the NET trainings, and you'll hear more about what NET is from Devon himself. But to start off, I asked him what to expect after a major earthquake hits Portland. I guess that's a question that's a little difficult to answer because there's multiple scenarios of how the what the earthquake would look like um, and a lot of that depends on what time of the day the earthquake happens what time of the year it happens so if it happens mid-february and we're in the already in the midst of a snowstorm it can look a lot worse versus it happening on a nice sunny day saturday or sunday afternoon uh, where most people are probably at home because we don't know we can't necessarily predict when and the earthquake will happen um, it's a little hard to say uh, what will actually what we will actually expect certain something Things that more than likely will we will be expecting is possibly down communication so phone lines being down not being able to use the internet which is probably a loss for a lot of millennials <laughs> <laughs> also not being able to uh, use certain roads it's potential that bridges may be down we may be losing some of our historical buildings, um, mostly directed to the URMs, the unreinforced masonry building. So it's a lot of, but we have a lot of potential for a lot of structural damage. But then again, like I said, it all can really depend on pretty much the time or time that this event happens. So if it's a really rainy year, um, this can also be a big uh, depiction of what we expect versus if it's a drier year. Okay, so many variables involved. <laughs> yeah, our, I think my favorite answer when I talk to folks is, well, it kind of depends. What are things that we can do, given how there's so many variables we mm-hmm. really 
don't know exactly what things will look like, what are the most important things we can do to be prepared as individuals? Yeah, um, I think a lot of times we're very, you know, as a whole, we're very reactionary based. So we kind of wait for an incident. Once the incident happened, then we kind of react and we try to mobilize then. And there's a lot of efforts that happened at the time. But um, I, I believe why um, this is why I believe that preparedness is the probably the most important piece of it. Being aware, one, being aware of what the hazards are in your area. Um, if you're living near a facility that has some high hazmat materials that can definitely affect things. One, you need to know what type of materials you're living around. You need to know if you're living if your home is on liquefiable soil um, and what that can mean. You also want to know, well, what would be my evacuation routes if I need to go, if I need to leave or if I need to reconnect with my family? Um, how would I do that? Smaller things. Where is my nearest beacon site? Basic earthquake emergency communication nodes. Where is my nearest fire station? Police station. Where is the nearest hospital? So if I need to take someone to the hospital, can I take them to the hospital? Will the roads be available for me to do that? Will the hospital still be up and running? Um, also things like, um, you know, what facilities or what are the nearest facilities, whether it's schools, elder care homes, things of that nature. And then more importantly, just getting to know the folks in your area, like knowing your neighbors. Um, that There's a percentage that's usually thought, uh, tossed around in emergency management of 90 to 95 percent of folks who are rescued or saved um, in any natural disaster are saved by their neighbors. And neighbors you know, just they just act a lot faster um, than government. We definitely see that played out in um, during the last uh, Hurricane Harvey, where a group of gentlemen and ladies gathered boats, called themselves the Cajun Navy, and they actually went around and saved a lot more people in a lot faster time than um, than government acts. So I think the one of the most important pieces just just getting to know your neighbors, getting to uh, kind of preparing together in that sense, because preparing is definitely a continual process, and it's also something that can seem overwhelming if you have to do it alone. So getting your neighbors involved, talking to them, seeing if they have a plan, um, seeing if they are they've thought about earthquake preparedness or just preparedness in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be an earthquake. It can be a very large fire. And next thing you know, the first time you meet your you know neighbor, worst case scenario, you'll be meeting them outside of your home with you guys both looking inside, right? Um, so we try to avoid that. So you want know, you want to get to know who's your neighbors. Um, what can they do? Maybe they're the ones who are going to be looking after your kids or pets. Well, that seems like a great thing <laughs> to talk about NET and uh -huh. the CERT program. Yeah, so uh, NET stands for Neighborhood Emergency Team. Everywhere else in the nation, well, I believe everywhere else in the nation is known as CERT, Community Emergency Response Team. Um, us in Portland, we like to be unique. <laughs> um, and also our police... Um, call their SWAT team CERT, S-E-R-T. So <laughs> to confuse volunteers of going to a, uh, a active shooter event, you know, so we try to stick, we stick with the name NET, Neighborhood Emergency Team. And that program has been around since uh, 1994, started by a woman named Rachel Jackie, who then moved on to work um, CERT nationally for FEMA. So she's, and she's still around, around the NET program and help advise us and a lot of many, and many different ways. But essentially the NET program is a program designed to uh, empower community members 
to respond or act in a not just a natural disaster, but in all disasters or emergencies, um, because we often we can be waiting for this earthquake from now until maybe 100 years from now. But there's lots of things that happen throughout the city that can require, um, you know, immediate support from neighbors, especially trained neighbors and trained volunteers. One of the things about this, the the CERT program, because you know, as an emergency manager or as a police, a policeman or a firefighter, um, when a disaster strikes, we know that people are going to help. To the contrary of, of what some folks may think, that the good of people always comes out more and people look to help and they look to act. Um, I think the purpose of our program is to give those folks who are going to act and help the tools that they need so that they can act and they can help effectively without hurting themselves, putting themselves in dangers, or hurting the folks that they're trying to help. What does the training look like that the Nets go through mm-hmm. and how, if I'm, I'm convinced, it sounds great, like what would the <laughs> next step be to look more into that training? Yeah, so um, the next step would be to um, sign, register for our program. You'll register, you go to portlandoregon.gov forward slash NET net. So you'll go to that website. From there, you'll just scroll and it should be a link to say register. Um, as soon as you register for the program, you'll immediately start getting my spam emails of saying, hey, there's a training coming up. If you'd like to participate, these are the dates. The trainings are typically 29 hours usually held over three Saturdays with the fourth Saturday being a final field exercise so we do a lot of class what makes our program unique from other cert programs is uh, not only do we do the classroom based training but we actually um, allow volunteers to do a field exercise where they get all that training that they learned and they get to go to they go to a the field exercise at Portland Fire and Rescue Training Center station two where they put out live fires they do practice search and rescue they practice the triage method um, and then they practice is a method called cribbing, which means, um, which is a way of getting, extricating a patient who possibly been crushed by, you know, a cinder block is what we use in the, in the training. Um, But using math and science (laughs) to kind of um, uh, leverage that, that object off that person and rescue them. I actually did the training here two summers ago Mm -hmm. and that final field exercise, it was like the child in me who thought firefighters were just the coolest people on earth and, and, and that kid got to come out and do all these things that firefighters actually on the, in the same place where firefighters train. It was so real. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, and I I really love the, that we have the final field exercise because I, I get that same response from a lot of folks. And I was like, well, the, the classroom training was was very good. And, you know, but some of those terms and some of the, the uh, methodology and how we do things kind of doesn't mesh until you actually go there. And you're like, whoa, this is what it really is. And it's not as it, it won't be as scary as, you know, as we may think it is. And, you know, you're empowered to like, oh, this thing works. Or more importantly, one of the my favorite realizations from volunteers is uh, the fire extinguishers work. And um, we tell folks like, oh, get out of there in class. Like, you know, if you can't put a fire out in five seconds and you have to leave and, you know, I get a lot of blank faces like, well, five seconds doesn't seem a lot. But when you get your actual hands on a fire extinguisher and you put out a very large fire and you're like, whoa, okay, 
I can't put out a fire and it should take only a few, very few seconds to put out a large fire. And I'm surprised, you know, so I always get those aha moments of, well, this is really cool. Like, I didn't know it can be as some of these tools are as effective as as we say they are. (laughs) Yeah, that was, yeah, using the fire extinguisher was a big, I really remember going through that because it's something we we see around so much, but I had never even touched one before. So it was really good practice to use it yeah yeah and most people they see have fire extinguishers they see fire extinguisher but they never had a chance to actually use it are there any requirements for going into the training do people need to have any prior experience um no there's no prior experience just be motivated <laughs> there's no prior experience uh, most we have folks come in from the elder community all the way down to um, high schoolers who've done our training um, and they've all been extremely successful. We try to design our program to kind of be seen in a way of there's a job for everyone. So maybe you're not lifting someone and um, rescuing them from the building or you're not someone who's into triaging or bandaging someone, but you know maybe you're a radio person um, or maybe you're just someone who likes to take good notes because documentation is will be extremely important. Or maybe you're just someone who's just good with people. A lot of we're definitely going to have a lot of emotional trauma during a disaster, and this thing can can possibly last quite a long time. You know, weeks to months. You know, or even you know, as far as recovery, even maybe a year or so. So having folks with those diverse skills, or maybe you're just someone who just knows how to play the guitar, put a smile on someone's face. We welcome anyone um, and everyone to be a part of the Net program and to bring whatever skills that they have to our program. And we try to support whatever those skills are. We've just for the first time. This year, we did actually a net camp where folks stayed overnight and they did a whole bunch of net related activities. I mean, it was just a whole lot of fun. Over 100 people showed up. And another thing about our program is free. <laughs> a lot of people are like, well, how much would this cost? I'm like, oh, it's a free program for anyone. You work inside the city of Portland or you live inside the city of Portland, then I definitely highly suggest that make time for this program. And another thing that's unique is you're not even for some, there's some folks who have extremely big busy schedule. So maybe they can make it for one day or two days, but they can't make it for all the days. We usually do our best to keep track of how many class units you have and things of that nature. So um, I have a lot of folks who come for a weekend or two. And then um, later on, when we open up our next class, I say, I just send another email, say, hey, you remember you missed this unit? You, If you want to finish the program, we still have some classes open for you. So we try to move there. So after people go through this program then what's next um then you wait for the earthquake (laughs) um no we try we really try to avoid um that's one thing that we're really working uh really hard to to do is keep people engaged because we know after they get done with this training and we're teaching them to be ready for this earthquake and they're like whoa well there's no earthquake happening what am i going to do our our program is is another reason why it's very unique is some of our volunteers are actually utilized in police and fire operations in regards to uh, down power lines. Sometimes they staff shelters. Sometimes they staff medical tents for um, the parades or for the marathons, or they're used to just staff barricades. And so they are utilized in some of the city's operation. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, some of our volunteers actually been driving some of the snow plows. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how far that got, but uh, I do know that some of them have done that. And we 
do our best to try to um, keep people re-engaged. We offer additional trainings to our volunteers, more advanced training to our volunteers once they complete our training, and that can be wilderness first aid, CPR first aid, or other things like advanced knot class, pet, pet disaster class. Try to bring in some folks from TIPS to come in, uh, trauma intervention program to come in and talk to some of our volunteers about uh, trauma intervention. So we try to keep folks engaged um, and keep them re-engaged into the program. And then more, more importantly, we encourage that every volunteer who completes the program go out and meet your teammates. Um, in Portland, we have about uh, 70 neighborhoods. So we have about a team in just about every neighborhood um, and they most of them meet monthly. Um, so we encourage folks to go out and meet your team, find out what the plan is, and more importantly, just build community. Are the net trainings offered just in English? So with all of our trainings, we do, we they are primarily in English. Uh, we do offer a sub-training called Listos. And that training is only in Spanish, and we usually work, uh, that training is usually worked in Hispanic communities. We've so far, we've done a few of those trainings and we're still working to do more of those trainings. We also have um, have the ability to bring in interpreters. So if someone wants to join the training, we can we don't have a problem with hiring interpreters for that training. We also don't have a problem with providing child care if child care is needed. Yeah, so we try to eliminate as many barriers from folks from different backgrounds uh, or different language barriers or you know other barriers. Um, that may be involved. You mentioned in earlier in talking about what people can do besides or in addition to going through the net training. Some of the things you mentioned people could probably figure out on their own, like where's the nearest hospital, but some things like living near hazardous materials or uh, liquefaction zones or planning the best evacuation route. Are there any resources you'd direct people to to know more about their own neighborhood or, or workplace or school? Yeah, I generally refer people to um, portlandmaps.com because that just has a, a lot of information. Um, it's upgraded. Uh, it's been upgraded and it's regularly upgraded uh, or updated rather to display hazards. You can find out if you're in a low earthquake zone, high earthquake zone. If you're if you're living on liquefiable soil, um, you can also identify um, where your nearest beacon site is, where is your nearest fire station, where is your nearest police station. So portlandmaps.com is extremely useful uh, resource that I generally kind of uh, send folks to. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for all this great information. Uh, Breaking things down, you make it seem a lot less intimidating. I love to ask you some questions about your own story, how you got involved with uh -huh. this. Have you ever been in an earthquake yourself or uh, other disasters? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm originally from California, so... Uh, <laughs> so I've... Got I've, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. Hat. Yeah, Raider hat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I definitely been felt a lot of earthquakes. I've never been in a traumatic earthquake, knocking on wood, but uh, I also lived in Louisiana and I moved. Uh, well, we moved there from California and then we moved back once Hurricane Katrina hit. <laughs> so um, I wasn't affected by the uh, hurricane. Uh, fortunately, we left as soon as we were aware that the hurricane was happening and then... Um, our home was fine. We just, it was just flooded. And, uh, so I haven't directly been in, in, in a um, disaster scenario, but I've definitely been around, um, some earthquakes. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have you've been <laughs> maybe not the most extreme, but yeah, you've been around smaller disaster natural disasters. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah. How did you get involved with NET and what interests you about this work? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been with the Bureau about two years now. Initially, what drawn me to this position was working with the community. Previously, I worked in the field of domestic violence. Um, so I worked there for about two years. And um, on one of my roles at the agency was community engagement. So I did a lot of public speaking around family violence, dating violence, domestic violence. Um, I did a lot of work in schools where I held a few groups, counseling groups with young men around teen dating violence, what is healthy masculinity. And I also did a few classes with perpetrators um, and assisted. I also assisted with women who are going through some of those uh, traumatic uh, domestic disputes. So, I wow. Kinda, yes, yeah. <laughs> You've got you. It sounds like you have a lot of experience with crises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of move from one crisis to another, <laughs> but uh, assi- the underlining thing was just working in a community is what I loved. Discussing hard topics. Um, and trying to make them engaging for everyone and understandable for everyone. And so that's definitely was a challenge talking about domestic violence, especially when it came to talking with uh, young men at the time about uh, dating violence and healthy masculinity. Um, so that was a huge challenge. Just to make that sound appealing for folks to to, to attend was a challenge in its own. And so um, now bringing that to Portland and um, trying to t- uh, tell folks about an earthquake that they've probably never experienced so uh, but I get to engage with the community of Portland which I do love and have a lot of fun doing it and it's it's really I find a little uh, a lot of very rewarding when I can get people to kind of have those aha moments or um, those moments of empower empowerment where they're just like whoa I can do this or I don't have to be scared about an earthquake or what may happen I can you know anything that can happen whether it's an earthquake whether it's a snowstorm or we have a blackout of power uh, being down like I I can I can do something Um, I'm not helpless and that's for me that's um, very powerful wow we've uh, met before Uh but I didn't know that story of the area you were working in before Uh coming here and I just feel all the more grateful that we have you in Portland (laughs) now working on this it just sounds like you've spent a lot of time dealing with difficult topics and helping people work through difficult times thank you for being here now to help us. You're welcome. In conclusion, if there's one thing anyone who listens to this podcast could do today, right now, what would you have them do? I would have them get to know their neighbors. Know who... It's, and it doesn't start with knocking on their door and saying, hey, are you prepared? Let's get prepared together. It's more of just just a simple hello, good morning, um, as you you know take your trash out or you see someone driving by, um, just give them a wave, say hello. Because again, like uh, the community aspect is just so more, so more important that I, I believe is so more important than the actual stuff or telling people to go get the stuff and go get the training and go get this and go get that. Where the, you know, the easiest thing that someone can do is just be a good community member. I and mean, that's going to lead to the better results after this earthquake happens. You know, we are we have a more tightly fitted community, um, then we can resist and we can be more resilient and help us, you know, we can bounce back a lot faster. 
um, if we're all chipping in or we're all helping each other because we're community members and we're family rather than being, you know, a little isolated and individualized. The beautiful thing about that, too, is that it can help us tomorrow, too, not only when the disaster hits. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, tightly more um, stronger communities uh, always leads to better outcome, health outcomes, mm-hmm. better school outcomes, um, you know, safer communities can all be, you know, reduced just by getting to know your neighbors, getting to know your community, being a part of your community. It doesn't necessarily have to be disaster preparedness, but um, just in some way engaging with your community in a positive way is going to lead for better outcomes for everyone. Awesome. What a great note to end on. <laughs> Thank you. I sought out Devon because I wanted to know about neighborhood emergency teams. Key points about this program from the city of Portland. It's free. There are no prerequisites. And the training takes place in classrooms and at the training campus for Portland Fire and Rescue. Woohoo! And the point of this program is to help prepare people to work better together and support our neighbors, support each other when a crisis hits. But Devon really emphasized that strong communities help each other not only through major disasters, but in more everyday things as well. And we can all just take little steps to work towards that. I apologize, I have suddenly lost my voice with a cold, but please tune back in next time and my voice will be better, I promise. We'll hear from Leslie Rock, a Portland Net team member, about her experience in the Northridge earthquake of 1994. The earthquake had a moment magnitude of 6.7 and the epicenter was in Los Angeles, California, just a few miles from where Leslie was asleep in her condo. Keep it locked to Seismic Airwaves, available on all major podcast platforms. 